hey, hey, it's the Skinny Man in Texas here, welcoming you to another episode of the Backlog Busters. We got a lot of stuff to get into, so let's go ahead and get into it, starting right now. That was beautiful. I loved it. I mean, I literally thought that it was Surge, but I guess you gave yourself away with the... <laughs> with the whole Texas thing. That's probably what it was. In a world filled with games, one team of elite gamers comes together to do the impossible. Complete their backlogs. Starring Grouchy Surge, Ryan Mathman Cray, Patrick the Backlog Odyssey, Mike Blaze Knight Grinnell, and featuring Jeremy the trash turkey when this team of elite gamers comes together they form the ultimate combo the backlog busters coming soon to a podcast near you lot of stuff to talk about tonight we got to talk about what we've been playing of course and what we're going to play and hopefully we can find things to to mark off of our backlog not only mark off the backlog but also fill in some bingo squares for our backlog bingo that we've got going on and i hope that you are unlike me and not trying to tackle a 100 plus hour game just to color in a square but before we get into what we've been playing i think we have something that's on all of our minds and that is E3. Now, obviously not E3 2020 because that didn't happen thanks to COVID. So we're going to be talking about our predictions and what you can expect from E3 2021. That's right. We have already gone into the future. We have come back and we're going to let you know. I know we've been missing Trash Turkey, but I do want to let you know that he came with us. We saw him. He is alive. He is healthy, still hanging out in Sean Capri's backyard. And hopefully he's going to let you know what he saw when he was going around to the different parts of E3. So, Patrick, Mike, I hope you guys are ready to tell our audience what we saw E3 2021. I mean, I feel like I'm always ready. And when it comes to tri time travel... You know, you couldn't be even, you couldn't be more ready bringing back this juicy information from the future. So, you know. They didn't make you sign a, a, a non-disclosure agreement, did they? It was future dated, so it doesn't count. <laughs> way to score. <laughs> Always sneaking outside the box. That's the way we like it. I know, right? <laughs> they can't hold us accountable if it didn't happen yet. <laughs> <laughs> all right so so patrick why don't you uh lead us off and what was one of the things that really stuck out to you that you saw from e3 2021 right i mean uh e3 is a big event and it's difficult to take it all in but a few takeaways that i did have were uh, well some that were kind of believable some that you would hope for and some that kind of surprised me honestly uh, the first one was that Nintendo, with its infinite wisdom, uh, finally decided that they wanted our money 
and they're like, hey, we're going to remake all the Zeldas that you ever wanted remade. So they announce um, the remake of Oracle of Ages and Seasons from the Game Boy Color. Oh, I saw uh, that. Yeah, right? In the same vein as The Link's Awakening that recently came out. Uh, and then the big one was Minish Cap, because although I feel it's probably one of the best 2D Zeldas out there, you don't hear a lot of people talking about it. And uh, again, it was a Capcom game, so maybe that's kind of a little bit of a collusion there between Capcom and Nintendo, but you know, I'm excited for them regardless. When did they... Because I know you went to a different event than I did, and so when they were talking about the Oracle of Ages and Seasons, and even the, the, the Minish Cap, were they talking about doing that as, as a bundle, or are they still going to try to nickel and dime us and do, you know, 50 bucks a pop? I mean, they're going to milk us for what we're worth, and it's not going to be $50, because, in, you know, inflation's finally catching up to the gaming industry, and we'll probably pay closer to 70 <laughs> Well, I guess that's a price that I'm willing to pay. Yeah, for three Zeldas? Now, $70 each? Yes. I'll still do it. And that's like that's like 200 Canadian, right? <laughs> All right, cool. Not including taxes. Oh, yeah. So, Mike, <laughs> uh, what did you see from E3 2021? I mean, Tell us one thing you saw. Th there was so much to take in. I could hardly process everything that I saw. But my big takeaway was that um, co-op between Sega and NT Creates Finally bringing us that Altered Beast sequel we've been waiting for. Oh, man. I mean, that 16-bit style is captured perfectly in this new game. Uh, and NT2 Creates did an amazing job. Uh, they said it was going to be a Metroidvania this time, which is awesome. Uh, and I know some of the uh, the beasts that they, they showcased this time around uh, some of them were the returning ones, the the wolf, the bear, the tiger, the dragon. But then some, some new ones that we saw that I thought were pretty cool uh, was, was a, a turtle, a frog man, and then weirdly a sloth that just, you, you just stop. I, I don't understand that uh, power up, but <laughs> I mean, who am I to judge? I don't make games. I just enjoy them. Right. I mean, it's into crates. They can come up with anything they want. Now, is it true that they're also going to have cameos from Galgun in the new Altered Beast because it's Inti Creates? I mean, I, there was that teaser right at the end, but I mean, I, I'm not familiar, so I'm not sure if that's what they were referencing. But but maybe it, 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 it just flash right at the end. I I I don't know what it was referencing. I was going to look into it more, but I haven't had a chance yet. So that could be that could have been it. Exciting. <laughs> and how about well, you, uh, Ryan? Well, so one of the things that I saw, and I went, you know what, this makes sense, and I wasn't really surprised at it. It was from Ubisoft. Uh, Ubisoft mm -hmm. announced announces the next entry into the Rabbids universe when they unveil Zelda plus Rabbids Hyrule Kingdom Battle. And we can expect the same zany, over-the-top rabbits antics combined with the usual, if not a little bit special, weapons that we have from the Legend of Zelda franchise. And so you're going to be guiding Link, Zelda, and a lot of the other side characters as you go to defeat Rabbit Ganondorf. 
And it was just, mm. you know, if you've got the, that Mario plus Rabbids kingdom battle in your head, you know, they have guns and other projectile weapons. And people said, oh, you can't do that with Zelda because it's swords. I said, but Ubisoft said, no, we've got crossbows. We've got the, the bow and arrow. We've got the hookshot. We've got the boomerang. And just seeing their, their take on that and even some of the other special items that you wouldn't even think of, like the, uh, the, I can't remember what they're called. I remember them in the Wind Waker, like the, these metal shoes that kept you from being blown away. So that when you're attacked, you don't get knocked back a lot of spaces and potentially off the board. And so the way they were able to integrate all of that while still keeping that, that flair from Mario and Rabbids, but totally changing it into that Zelda um, uh, franchise was just, it, it was beautiful. It's something I've been saying should be coming out for years, and they finally announced it. And it, I'm telling you right now, they're going to announce it at E3 next year, and it's going to be coming out in October. So you don't even have to wait that long. So good October stuff. of this year? <laughs> no, 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 October no, no, no. of 2021. Oh, so like a... It's a time paradox. It's a time period. I, I can't wrap my mind around this. And I know I shouldn't say too much because I don't want there to be these skewed timelines where all of a sudden it doesn't happen. So mm -hmm. um, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I'm feeling like 2021 is chalking up to be the year of the rabbit. And, and I guess Zelda. I mean, yeah. And you're thinking, surely something good is going to happen next year. I mean, there's no way next year could be even worse. Oops. <laughs> oh man, my favorite so, part from that uh, Zelda Rabbids crossover was when they showed us Rabbid Tingle flying around mm. on his balloon. Like mm -hmm. that was pretty cool. Like I did not expect a Rabbid Tingle, but there he was floating around the stage. So yeah, you are you in the, the the Tingle? Are you like Team Tingle or Team Nabi? I mean, how can you you not love Tingle? He's a grown man living his dream. What more could you ask That's for? That's right. He just wants to be a fairy. Yeah, and, and if that grown man is walking around the streets, he 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 might get taken into the to the police station. Is all I'm saying. It's very very possible. It's very possible. Oh, you know what, guys? I'm getting a hot feed from oh. the time machine. Oh, I got some hot hot news about the consoles of 2021 in e3 what? 2021 i know oh, i know juicy. it's you know directly into my earbud uh <laughs> so i'm hearing that microsoft and sony are going to be taking a different approach to backwards compatibility after the console releases next year so what i'm hearing is that they want to take it to the extreme. They want it to be just not, you can download digital games from previous generations. They want your console to be the consoles of the previous generations. And they're doing a, a crossover with the Transformers franchise. Now, I don't know, I don't know how this will work, but your Xbox Series X at the push of a button, will be able to transform itself into any of the previous console generations from Microsoft. You want an Xbox? You press the Xbox button. Well, I think this is clearly something that Microsoft and Sony can, can pull off. 
Now, you said Transformers, and my mind went back to when I was a child and flipping all the pieces to go from one form to another. So I could imagine them doing that because really, when you look at most of those Xbox and PlayStation consoles, they look pretty much identical, especially if you look at PlayStation's controllers. So, you know, flip up a side and yeah, all of a sudden your PS5 has become a, a PS2. And this is definitely something I could not see Nintendo doing. No, absolutely not. Because like we've always said, they don't like our money, except for when it comes to the rabbits. So it's an inevitability. Well, I'm personally excited just to play with the buttons, to just to sit there and push 360, <laughs> Xbox One, original Xbox, Series X, just to watch it transform over and over and over again. You're going to break it. You, you know, I it, have that habit. Uh, that, that's how I broke my Nintendo Super NES Classic, and I imagine that that's how I'll break <laughs> the next fun toy I get. So, just my luck, I suppose. This dang reset button doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, the person that I feel the saddest for in that news is Grouchy, because mm -hmm. you know that he's going to be a day one adopter. Right. But then he's going to bring it home, and his kids are going to want to play with it. And he, right. he has a teenager, but he also has some, some littles. And you know, and we've seen pictures, we saw his, his controller that he showed earlier this week on Twitter covered in either pizza cheese or I don't even know what. I'm hoping it was just pizza stuff. But you know his kids like to push buttons. Mm -hmm. They're going to push all those buttons, and just like Mike's, Super Nintendo Classic, it's not going to last long. I feel sad for Grouchy, big time. Yeah, it'll be a horrifying sight. And there I was, holding this brand new PS5, enjoying the glory of pushing all the buttons to switch it. I switched it back to the PS1, and, oh man, I, I popped in my copy of Jade Cocoon, played perfectly. I don't think I'll switch it back to a PS5. I'm just going to keep it in PS1 mode. What about yeah, you, Mathman? It, it's a beautiful sight, honestly. Well, uh, did you have a, another thing that you saw, Mike, uh, at E3? I mean, that, that that was the big thing, was was the Altered Beast. But uh, the, the surprise, the surprise uh, game for me, I think, was the one that they're bringing out for uh, the Wii. The system that just will not die. It's... A brand new um, multi, uh, motion controlled Harry Potter game that features uh, years one through seven. Uh, you just run around as a wizard, waving your wand, casting the spells, living the Harry Potter life. It, I, I'm surprised they went with the Wii. I feel like the Switch would have worked, but I mean, the Wii is the console that just will not die. Well, I don't know why. That's just the way that they are. Uh, but I, I gotta say, though, I, I was surprised with the fidelity of the four 420p graphics. Like, it actually looked fairly smooth, all things considered. And I, I heard, I heard about that, and they were very uh, quick to let everybody know that it's uh, Wingardium Leviosa, not Wingardium Leviosa. Yep, yep. That was uh, that was like the selling line right at the beginning. I, I don't know why they led with that, but yeah, that was the tipping point. 
It's for all the, all the Hermione's out there. <laughs> all right, well, here's one. Another one that I saw, and this one is coming uh, well, directly from Nintendo. So, again, you know, this is what we saw um, in June of, of next year. And Nintendo was talking about how well their Metroid Prime trilogy remastered had sold when it came out on the Switch in fall of 2020. And to follow that up, they're going to announce the Samus trilogy coming to Switch in fall of 2021. And this is a collection that has the two Game Boy Advance games, Metroid Fusion and Metroid Zero Mission, along with the 3DS uh, reimagining of Samus Returns. And so this was like a big Metroid explosion. Um, And this news also coincided with a new trailer for Metroid Prime 4, which you're going to believe it, but you're not going to believe it. Uh, Metroid Prime 4 will be announced to be pushed back again. And that caused all of us in the area, all of us in, in the room to speculate that because of all these delays that maybe one of Sony's studios is working on it. Yeah, I mean, I've always known that Nintendo and Sony were in bed together. And they just, you know, they're they're playing coy, saying <laughs> they're turning the other cheek so people don't get suspicious. But I've knew it. I've known it. I believe it. Well, I think Nintendo I mean, was upset that, you know, Sony... How long did Sony take between um, showing off the Spider-Man game before it actually came out? I'm not sure how many years that was. But Nintendo says, you know what? We've got you beat. We're going to push this out five years. Six years. <laughs> We're we playing the people... long game here. Oh, yeah. They, they are. And this is why they're kind of throwing out these little bones with the Metroid Prime trilogy and the Samus trilogy. Because they know they have such a rabid fan base. They have to do something. Because people are starting to send in emails and actually write handwritten letters to Nintendo. That's how bad it's gotten. Complaining about, where's my Metroid Prime 4? Yeah, they tried to do it through the, the Miiverse, but they shut that down. Why do you have to bring that up? <laughs> just pour, just go ahead and pour the salt directly into the wound. Uh, yeah. Oh, so, Patrick, what else did you see? So, i seen one last thing, uh, and this one's kind of exciting, and something I was kind of hoping for anyway. But with the whole, uh, you know, playing off the back of the backwards compatibility thing, Nintendo came back and said, we're not worried about you being able to play your games, your old games, on our new consoles. What we're doing is we're going to start creating official reproduction cartridges from your old consoles and not only that we're going to make official clone consoles of your super nintendo nes any cartridge based system and it will work with original hardware and the everybody was floored at that news it's going to be i think 1080p and it has all the integrated share options that the modern consoles have it'll just play Retro cartridges. So you, if yep. I'm understanding you correctly, they're going to have, they're going to be making an official 
Nintendo licensed console, kind of like the Retron, but it's going to yes. be coming from them that yes. can play their original cartridges. And it's even going to have HDMI out. Yes. It's going to have a way to connect to modern televisions. Yes. And it's not going to be emulation. <laughs> See, the, the question I had about that particular device, they, they didn't seem to explain or touch on at all, is are we going to be able to um, have storage on it so that we could download emulated versions of the games if we want to? Or is it just strictly um, original hardware and, and repo cards? That, that's what I don't understand. And that that's what I'm really so, interested to, to hear them tell us more about. I, so I, I got a, an exclusive interview with Moimoto himself. And he said, I'm a software developer. I don't know. Well, that, that it was does... kind of anticlimactic. I mean, did you, did you get anything else out of the interview or are you saving that for uh, the website? Uh, I did get one last thing and I'm hesitant to uh, say anything about it. But I'm hearing that uh, Metroid is also getting a crossover with uh, Rabbids. You know, that's a, that's a perfect fit. You know, Metroid's got such a, a vast array of heroes and heroines in, in their, their team, in their, in their games, in their franchise. It, it's a match made in heaven. I think so. He didn't say much beyond that. Uh, it wasn't a very informative interview. But uh, I was awestruck, so maybe I just wasn't paying attention to what he was saying. You always got to pay attention. Come on, Patrick. Also, he was speaking in Japanese. I don't <laughs> And why do I have a feeling that you only respond to, responded to him by saying, Domo Arigato, and you broke out <laughs> into a stick song? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie, but I'm not going to confirm that either. <laughs> The video will be posted and going viral next year. Yep. June of 2021. Yeah. Look forward so to Mike, it. So, Mike, did you have anything else? I mean, not really. That was Those were the main things. Everything else was just ah, too much for me, man. Too much. Okay, well, there were... I've got a, two more things that I saw real quick. Um Square Enix shares, or they, they shared footage from Final Fantasy VI Remake uh, that's being done in the HD 2D style of Octopath Traveler. Ooh, so, the same kind of story, but mm -hmm. just with those the updated 16-bit uh, plus visuals is really great. And the, the last thing that I saw, um, it, was, it wasn't a game, but it was a business model. So as our video games have become increasingly more digital, um, a lot of these game developers are trying to figure out how can they, I guess, make the most money, right? They want to take our money. And so here's what they were describing. And they've got a buy, they got buy-in from a lot of these major studios. So going forward, a lot of these developers are going to be putting their games out for free for the first hour of play. So you can play the first hour of pretty much any game that's, you know, that they designate uh, for free. And if you want to keep playing, you have to then pay for the additional time. It's like a lot of our listeners may not remember. Oh, no, I'm sure they do. Uh, pay phones. 
you know, of course, the first minute wasn't free, but you have to pay for those additional minutes. And the constant amount would vary based on the game and the developer. For example, uh, Ubisoft. They were showing off and talking about the next iteration of Assassin's Creed and Far Cry. And they're going to be charging a dollar for each additional hour. Uh, Call of Duty was only going to be 50 cents per hour because they're figuring that they can get a lot of those people to play online. And if they're giving them 50 cents an hour, the game's going to totally pay for itself. Uh, the, next installment of, the next installment of Final Fantasy VII Remake is going to be $2 per hour. And a lot of this is, they're imagining that you're going to be spending $60 on the game as it is, so the shorter games might be more per hour, but they're going to make it worth your while. And gamers still have an option of going and buying a physical copy of a game for about $60 to $80. But the developers are going to be making fewer units, um, and that's going to keep the cost very close to MSRP. So you're not going to be seeing a lot of these Black Friday deals. You're not going to be seeing you know, the prices drop dramatically just a month or two after a game is released because there won't be that many physical copies. Again, as we're going to this all-digital world. And so this can kind of be good for those backloggers out there. Play an hour of the game for free. If you want to keep playing, go for it. But if you find that you don't have the time to play the game, so maybe you would have bought, you know, like right now, you would have spent $60 buying the next Assassin's Creed game. But because of life, you know, kids, work, um, everything else that's going on, you spent $60 on a game and you only put three hours into it because it either didn't grab your attention or you didn't have time for it, but you're at $60. But this new model, Ubisoft claims, gamers can get into the game, and if they only play three hours, they're just out $2. But they also know that there are going to be those completionists out there that are going to keep paying and paying because they want to get to the end. They want to beat that last boss. And so it's kind of up in there to see how well that's going to go. But I thought it was interesting. They were modeling it, calling it a rent as you go. Yeah, I, I found that the, the audience was divisive on that topic. Uh, the whole f be able to play it free for an hour is a great opportunity for people to try games. And, um, but then once we get into pay by the hour, that's when it gets... You know, one thing that I found wasn't clear is do we have the opportunity to pay the $60 outright if it's digital? And also... They, 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 also... they, 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 did, they did make that. They did make that very clear that if you want to go ahead and pay full price for it um, at any point, mm -hmm. you, you can do that. Right. Um, it's it's kind of like what we... I know something that I experienced when I was young. We rented... Uh, Zelda 2 for the NES I think five times we would play it and then the sad thing for that one is that the save was on the cartridge and you were never guaranteed that you were going to get the same one but nevertheless we rented it five times or at least five nights and sometimes we kept it multiple nights just so we could have the same copy but we'd never beat the game but eventually we ended up buying the game and so it was one of those weird things that you spent all this money renting it that could have just gone towards the purchase of the game. So it's similar to like you're leasing out the license of the game. Yeah. And I think for it's someone... It's a buy-to-own kind of thing or rent-to-own. 
Yeah. Right, because, yeah. And I mean, is it true? Is it true though that I heard that for the limited digital or uh, physical distribution, they'll actually be working with limited run games for their? I think for some of the properties they were, um, but not for everything. Uh, again, some of the bigger companies didn't really want to get into limited run. They didn't want mm-hmm. to. They just don't want to be tied down to something else. Not that they that have anything sense. negative about limited run, but they still. You know, these developers, they want to be in control. Right. Uh, I, I just worry that the big guys are going to start getting into the uh, uh, the forced rarity or, or however you want to phrase that. You know, you're kind of making a, a, a manufactured collectible, if that makes sense. Right. And... Uh... And I think they were saying that since they would be, they would be making fewer physical copies, uh, these physical copies would be in a steelbook. Because oh, they said, we know yeah. that there are gamers out there that like the collectability of steelbooks. And if we do that, we know that we're going to keep the price high. And there's going to be that resale market. And there's this guy that we know in Vegas. It was really where they like mentioned specifically a guy that lives in Las Vegas. Um <laughs> who will do anything to get copies of still books. I went, it sounded really familiar. I couldn't put my, I just couldn't figure out what, who they were talking about, yeah. but maybe eventually I'll think of it. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, it sounds familiar. I can't put my finger on it either. I'm right there with you guys. I no idea. <laughs> it's like right at the tip of your tongue, but you just can't think of it. It just, it, it makes me grumpy, you know, it makes me grumpy. Well, I can't wait until everybody that listens to us gets to see it all come to fruition. And it's <laughs> and we we yeah. are the the Nostradamuses Damases of backloggers. Dom- so. Damasai. Mm-hmm. All right, so I think we're up to what we've been playing. So, Mike, why don't you lead us off? What have you been playing this past month? Well, the vast majority of my playtime has been spent with um, my current obsession, Dead by Daylight. I've also touched on a couple of other games, too. Um, uh, Very briefly played a game called CrossCode, and I spent a little bit of time with uh, the Sega Classic Game Ground, and I finished up um, a run of Superliminal. Uh, Really looking forward to getting back into that one. But the main game I wanted to tell you guys about tonight, um, I did a poll on Twitter to, to help me decide which one to talk about. And uh, the people said, let's talk about Bloodstained, Curse of the Moon 2. So <clears throat> that's what I care to share today. So Bloodstained, Curse of the Moon 2 is this new game from NT Creates and, um, th- well, in partnership with, uh, it, I can't remember the guy's name, uh, the original creator of Castlevania. And, Koji Igarashi. Um, that's the man. I knew you, you, you'd you be there for the safe. Thanks, Patrick. Uh, anyways, um, this new iteration uh, features uh, Zangetsu returning as the, the main character, uh, as he did in the, the previous <laughs> um, installment of Curse of the Moon. Uh, but this time he's joined by a different cast of characters, um, including Dominique, who, if you played Ritual of the Night, you'll recognize her as one of the vendors that you, you get items from. And then uh, 
they also included a sniper uh, character named Robert. Uh, he's, yeah, long distance sniper. You, you get the idea. And then lastly, they included um, a, a corgi dog in a mech suit. Um, and his name is, is ha Hachi. Hachi, I think it's pronounced. Anyways, um, this emulates the this game emulates the formula of like a Castlevania three um, to a T. So if you've played that game, then you're you're, you're right there. You, you'll understand what I'm talking about. So it's two D side scrolling. Um, it, it it's linear, but there's different paths you can take depending on which characters you have in your group or which abilities you use. Uh, and each each character has their own unique abilities. Uh, Zangetsu has the ability to deal, I think, more damage up close, and has different unique items that he can use uh, to attack into different areas. So, like, he has a whip to attack forward and diagonal. He, if you get the different weapon, he has like a like a spirit bomb he throws on the ground, and it like puts a little trap of energy damage there, just like he had in uh, the original Curse of the Moon. And then he's got a power-up that um, makes it so that all of his standard attacks deal like double the damage, and it changes some of his attack patterns. So he deals just a ton of up-close damage. Um, Dominique it <clears throat> has the ability to jump higher than um, anybody else on her own. She can attack up, she can attack down, um, Scrooge McDuck style from DuckTales, uh, and Pogo off of different things, uh, which is a pretty effective attack. Uh, but in addition to that, she brings to the table the ability to be like a healer for the group, which you didn't have access to in, in previous games. It's just really, really nice uh, benefit. And she even has like one of her special abilities she can get is a one-time use revive everyone in the party ability. So easily um, like one of the most useful characters in the game. Uh, she's got a couple other magical attacks too. Uh, she can shoot like these tornadoes and like you hit the activate button and it fires straight across and you hit the activate button again and then it shoots up so you can hit enemies above you. And then her other one shoots like lightning to the ceiling and it traces uh, the roof or the ceiling in both directions, uh, taking out the enemies who are up high. And I feel like the enemies in this game tend to be um, on the ceiling or up high more frequently than they did in the previous game. So it's a really useful full skill. Um, next guy, Robert, uh, like I said, he's a sniper. So his normal attack can shoot all the way across the screen. Uh, he has the ability to go prone and crawl so he can get into areas other people can't um, doing that. But he also can wall jump, which lets him reach platforms that other people wouldn't be able to reach, uh, which is a, a fairly useful ability. And then his special weapons, he has a similar weapon to Zengetsu where he can attack up, but he throws like spears instead. But then he's also got like a bomb he can throw and like it rolls across the ground like a, like a grenade almost, and then just blows up on whatever it hits. And then his last one uh, powers him up similar to Zengetsu, but he gets two guns instead of one. And then he's just like machine gun fires 
very, very quickly. Now, the one thing I haven't touched on with each of these characters is they have different health levels, and Robert has the lowest health level. So you got to be careful using him. You can only take a couple of hits before he dies. Uh, but who has the most health is our Corgi in the mech machine. Now, he doesn't get a ton of abilities um, like everybody else does, switching weapons. But instead, he can turn on just straight-up invincibility. So he can just walk through whatever without taking any damage, uh, just at the cost of weapon power. It, it drains it pretty quickly, but it does feel very overpowered. Um, in addition to that, uh, he can regularly uh, like do a ground pound type attack that destroys um, different materials or enemies below him. Um, he doesn't take terrain effects at all. Like no, that doesn't affect him. So if he lands on spikes, he just breaks them instead of taking damage. Um, and the ice level, the ice physics don't affect him at all. So really useful there. But probably the number one most useful ability that he has is the ability to hover over um, enemies. And the cool thing is, is you can combine everybody together because they allow quick switching just by hitting the bumper buttons uh, of your character. So you can high jump as Dominique, switch to Robert, wall jump, and then land on a higher platform and switch to Hakchi, jump, and then hover to an even further platform. So it, it's a really useful way to reach areas you might not have been able to. And they did an excellent job in this game uh, with the level design in making it so that there's areas that you can't necessarily get to or if there's challenging enemies in the way that you might not know how to get to um, your first go through, um, which it, it really adds to the replay value of the game. Um, so I've only finished a single playthrough and I, I worked together with, with Dom on that one. Because uh, you can play co-op now, which is amazing, by the way. It really changes up the way you play the game. But um, <clears throat> we did a single playthrough, and then we're on the second playthrough. And on the second playthrough, it changes the story. And I don't want to spoil it for anybody who wants to play it, because it's a brand new game. But um, second playthrough, it's basically like the story continues. So uh, if you played the first one, you will you might have an idea of the type of storyline they went for. Similar, but not not the same. Uh, interested to to play more of it, but I'm very very happy with what I have played. And if you're at all interested in 2D tough platformers, I it's a highly recommend for me. Yeah, I literally almost pulled the trigger and bought it yesterday because I know that I'm going to be playing it. Um, I love the other Bloodstained games. Um, how is it tied? Well, like, I don't want to spoil it for myself or for the listeners, but how is it tied to A, Curse of the Moon, and B, uh, uh, Ritual of the Night? So is it at it, all? It seems to be a direct sequel to uh, Curse of the Moon based on uh, some of the dialogue. And there's not a lot of dialogue in the game, but just mm -hmm. some of it. Uh, lends to the fact that that's what it is. Uh, I've yet to see a direct connection between uh, the Curse of the Moon games and the Ritual of the Night um, standalone, mm -hmm. uh, other than featuring the same characters. 
Um, there's hints that it may be, but it's, but, well, I would guess that based on what I know, um, it must be that the Curse of the Moon games come before Ritual of the Night. Right. Like, that that's the yeah, only thing that makes first... sense based on the events of all the games that I've played. Right. I know the the first one featured Miriam, but this one does not at all, right? Well, actually, uh, I haven't gotten to this point in the game, but I know that you can unlock the ability to play as Miriam, Alfred, and Jeebel. Um, oh. And you would have access to all of the the characters uh, for whatever playthrough that is. But I haven't I haven't unlocked cool. that yet. I'm not sure how you do it, but there. I, I've noticed that there's areas specifically designed for for Jeebel to get through because uh, he's a single like block high when he's in his bat form that um, I haven't been able to get into despite my best efforts. So I'm looking forward to exploring those areas as well. And does it feature Galgun characters? You know, um, I haven't come across that <laughs> yet. Like I said, I wouldn't necessarily know if I did, but um, <laughs> so far. Or no, 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 nothing. Yet. Okay, I'll still play it, I guess. <laughs> no, I'm really looking forward to playing it myself. Um, I on, I'm honestly holding off because I'm hoping that Limited Run will release a physical um, version of it. But then I'll probably just double buy it. So I don't know why on. I'm hesitating. I, I wouldn't blame you for not wanting to wait. <laughs> it's it's a really good game. Yeah, no, I'm very much looking forward to yeah, playing. My it. only problem with like limited run and and uh, super, like was it super limited with the other like limited yeah. versions mm -hmm. is none of them ever put any of their games on Xbox. It's always Switch and PlayStation. So that's true. It, it never that's works true. out for me. It's true. Uh, from what I recall, it's because Microsoft does not allow um, what what's the term that they use like. Uh, low whatever like i know limited run releases things at in low quantities like two to three thousand and i think there is a minimum that microsoft requires that is too many for them i think well i think that that's, that's a bad hate. idea but uh what do i know <laughs> i'm not the multi-billion dollar corporation i'm just a guy <laughs> sitting at home enjoying video games yeah no i need bloodstained that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> so what have you guys been playing this month? So this month, I picked back up a game that I'd put down earlier. Uh, I put it down, I guess, last year. Got it last year, played it for a little bit, and it just didn't grab me. And the game I'm talking about is Dragon Quest Eleven. One I'm of the issues of that I had with it... I'm sorry? I'm proud of you. Thanks, Dad. One of the issues that I had with it was working in a 3D environment, and I don't know if it was just the way the camera worked or the frame rate, but it, it was making me sick to my stomach. And so I only put in about two or three hours, and I didn't even... I only made it to the first, to the first town, the first castle, outside of where you start. So I really hadn't gotten anywhere. And this is like on the physical game that I bought, I wasn't even doing the demo. So I picked it back up. I don't even know what caused me to pick it back up, but I said, I'm going to do this. And I did it to the point 
that I think my Animal, animal Crossing villagers have all left. I don't know, because I haven't played since I've picked up Dragon Quest. I'm talking about putting in over 100 hours in this game. And I don't really regret it, because it was so good. If you like Dragon Quest games, I think you'll like this. Now, my experience with Dragon Quest games only goes as far as Dragon Quest Three. I know I mentioned probably a while back that I played that on Android. Uh, I did play the first four in bits and pieces on the NES, and then uh, Dragon Quest Four when it came out on the three, uh, the two DS or the three DS. But I've missed everything between four and now. So when they said that Dragon Quest XI was coming out on the Switch, I was ecstatic. It was just a shame that we had to wait an extra year and a half or so after it came out on the PlayStation 4, but whatever. Um, but it hits all the right RPG moments for me. It's got leveling up. And you know me, I'm Mathman1024, so give me the numbers. Every time somebody goes up a level, I can see how all their attributes have increased. And, and I, love, I will sit and just stare at that screen for a moment take it all in, and be, and just, it, it, it's, a, it's a special rush that I get, and I love it, so I can't even explain to you how much I love that. I was watching somebody play a, a Final Fantasy game on the Super Nintendo, and people were getting levels, and that's all it said, and you had no idea what was going on. I love the numbers. I love getting, you know, the new weapons, the armors, the, the accessories, uh, getting to add people to the party and wondering, what are they going to bring? What are their spells? What are their special abilities? What weapons do they use? And then, of course, the exploring. It, it, it's all there in this beautiful 3D environment. And it's, I'm really glad that it has a photo mode because there have been several times that I said, you know what, this is a really cool backdrop. Let me go to the photo mode and take a nice little picture. And it's the kind of stuff that you would expect to see on a Wish You Were Here postcard. Um, so I got into it, and I, I finally got to the part. It took me a long time. I finally got to the part where the demo ended. And it was, well, for me, it was probably about you know, 10, 15 hours into the game. Um, but it was, it's good. Um, it's got, uh, let's see, like I said, wonderful environments, a lot of places to explore. Uh, one of the big downsides, though, was the repetitive music especially the battle song. When you go in to fight enemies, it's the same song, but at the beginning, there, there's just something about it that is very annoying to me. I, don't, I can't really put my finger on it. I don't know if it's just too upbeat. I don't know if it just doesn't match the rest of the music. And the fact that you're going to be hearing that song a thousand times can be quite draining. And there are a lot of other musical numbers that I just felt were played over and over again. It wasn't that each area had its own motif, like in a lot of uh, Final Fantasy games or like an Octopath Traveler from a few years ago. And so to me, that's the one, that's one downside. But aside from that, I mean, there's so much to do. You have skill trees for each of your characters. As they level up, they earn skill points, and you can use those to unlock new abilities, new spells. Um, it could be that they get you know, a plus 10 or plus 20 to their damage or to their attack power if they're wielding a certain weapon. Um, you can go far enough into the tree, and now your, uh, your character can hold two of the same weapon, you know, giving up some defense for a shield to have an extra sword. 
you learn uh, pep powers. So as you go through the battles, every once in a while your character is going to get pepped up and they get this blue aura around them, which means they can do extra damage, they have increased agility, and you learn moves that you can do with other characters, uh, a move that does extra damage or that heals the whole party. And one of my favorites is one that requires three of your characters to be pepped up and they can take in a battle, take all the enemies, wipe them away and bring in new enemies. And there's a really good chance they're going to bring in metal enemies, which if you've played Dragon Warrior games or Dragon Quest games, you know, metal enemies means a ton of experience as long as they don't run away. And once you learn that and you start to say, oh, these characters are pepped up, you can then put them on the back burner, not in your main uh, starting four, but get them pepped up, move them off, and then bring them back in once everybody is pepped up. Call in new monsters. Hopefully they're, they're, they're metal slimes and rack up the experience. Uh, I did this just yesterday. And in three different, just, just in three battles, I gained almost 750,000 experience points. I started off at level 68 yesterday, and in a few hours I'd gotten up to uh, 84, because you summon those guys, if you're lucky enough to kill them, 240,000 experience, and you see the levels just go crazy. And, and again, going back to the numbers, I had so much fun. So uh, one of the things that, I'm sorry? Can you give us just a, a little bit of perspective here? Um, if you were to fight the battle normal without pep up and replace uh, mechanics, approximately how yep. much uh, EXP would you gain in comparison to what you get for summoning the metal slimes? Right, so in the in the later stages of the game, the enemy encounters will give you maybe 2,000 to five or 6,000. And so you're looking at increasing that by 40-fold, maybe 50, in one battle. And that so there's, is impressive. It, yeah. Well, it's super impressive whenever you so there are a total of eight characters in the game. And when you level up, I think one of the battles I did yesterday, of those eight characters, there was a combined leveling up for 15 levels. They were getting two levels at a time. And it, I was, it was just a ton of fun. Um, but uh, you know, aside from that, um, one of the things that I really liked is that you were never far away from a place to save or a place to heal up. A lot of times in the battlefields as you're walking around, there are little fire pits. You can rest and save, and it's just very, very convenient. And later on when you learn the spell uh, Zoom, which allows you to just teleport wherever, if you've stayed the night at one of these little campfires, you can zoom right back to it. So if there's a, an item that you need that's close by, or there's a, a side quest that's close by, you can just zoom and you go there and it just makes things super, super easy. Um, one of the best parts, though, is just the characters that you get. Um, you've got your classic, you've got your warrior, you've got your fighter, um, you've got your spellcaster, but they're all unique. They all have their back backstories. They all have the voice acting, which yeah, you can take or leave it for some of them. Um, one of them, for whatever reason, just totally... Um, worked for me. Uh, there's a character named Silvando, and he's just this overly dramatic person with a Spanish flair, 
And he was one of the few people that I would actually let the voice actor finish speaking the lines instead of just reading the text. It, it was just so funny the way that that character just came to life. Um, and as you go through, it's not just you meet the character and that's the end of their story, but there's so many other connections they have with the people in the world. And you learn more about where do they come from. And a lot of times when I was playing this, something would happen. I'm just, you know, my mouth just drops. I'm like, what just happened? It happened so many times. And it just really endeared me to those characters. Um, and a lot of their background stuff is told through these memories. Again, the subtitle or the subtitle for the game is Echoes of an Elusive Age. Um, but as you go through, like in any RPG, you want to make sure that you check everywhere, break every pot, look in every barrel, find your items, find the secrets. Um, on bookshelves, you'll see you know Red Book, which gives you information about story, background for the characters, and even recipes. Because one of the, I'm not going to say like a huge thing, but you can craft in this game. I don't know if it's been there in the previous games, but these items that you collect from the battlefields, from the treasure chest, you then use that to craft uh, some uh, weapons, armor, and accessories. And you can even use this fun-sized forge to take items that you can't craft, but you can rework them to make them even stronger, giving them a, a plus one, two, or three rating. So earlier today, of course, I'm, I'm in the end game. And I had a sword with an attack rating of, you know, 150. I was able to rework that. So now it has an attack rating instead of 150, 180. And so it's, you can be very obsessed about this. Because when you go to craft, you, you're taking a hammer and an anvil and you're reshaping this stuff. And you have so many points that you can use. And of course it gets reset for each um, each thing that you're trying to forge. And you have more of these points to use as you level up naturally. But you're trying to fill up these bars by you know hammering it away so it fits within a certain range. And of course, the rarer the item, the smaller that range is, and the more work that you have to do for it. And I found a lot of times that if I overshot the mark, then the item's ruined. So I would save then I would go to Forge, and if I didn't get that plus three rating, a lot of times I would reset, go back, and, and reforge. Especially on this one item that I was doing just before we recorded, just before we recorded this podcast, because this is like the last item. This is the most powerful sword, and I want to make sure that I don't just craft a sword. I want to make sure that it's perfect. And I know the first time that I crafted something, it told me that I was a failure. It said, well, you made this copper sword. It doesn't look like a copper sword, but we're going to let you call it a copper sword anyway. Because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know that I couldn't, you know, if I went beyond the mark, I didn't know I could come back. But um, it was just one of these games I, I, I couldn't put it down. Sometimes you have these RPGs, and it's, it's a chore. For this one, every place I went, there was something else to see. There was this, you know, beautiful vista to look at. There were these colorful, color, colorful, excuse me, characters to talk to, new items to get, new weapons to forge, new side quests to do. And I felt like I kept telling my wife, it's much time to go to bed. Like, I, I, you know, I just need to do one more thing. 
just I'm almost done here. And then it'd be like an hour later. I'm like, oh my gosh, that took a lot longer than I thought. But I couldn't wait to get back into the game the next day. I think we've all been there where it's just just one more. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to say too much about what happens in the game. But there's a part where I said, okay, I think I'm done. But because of things that I had seen online, I knew that I wasn't. So if you go into the game not knowing what happens, you're going to have those jaw-dropping moments. You're going to have the, I can't wait to see what happens next. I need to know, I need to know more about Savando. I need to know more about this Hendrick character. I need to know more about my, the, the main guy, the Luminary. Why do people think that he's bad? What is going on? And when it all gets explained, you're like, oh. And it just makes you want to keep going and play it more and more to tie up all those loose ends. Uh, and I've, t- I've talked a lot about this game. I just had so much fun playing it, and I'm not done yet. I'm at the last, I, hmm, air quotes, I think I'm at the last guy. Like I said, I've put in 100 hours, and right now, I would say that this is definitely a prime contender for my game of the year alongside Stardew Valley. Those, those two are at the top, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to report back to you next month and say, I completed the game. And that's, that's awesome. I've always been fascinated with the Dragon Quest games and only recently started playing them. Uh, one thing that I find interesting, since my only experience is playing the first two games, is how different those are to the modern Dragon Quest games. And... That's what I'm excited about, is to see how they evolved this franchise, both mechanically and, you know, they fleshed it out. Yeah, and that's... After playing this, I really have a desire to go back and try to find and play uh, Dragon Quest V through ten in some way. I know that they have them on mobile devices. There are some that are on, that are on the 2DS or, or the DS or the 3DS. Um, I don't know that I don't know that I want to play them there. No, it's a because I had this grand idea that I wanted to collect all of the Dragon Quest games, right. all the original releases, and doing research on where you get them all is you know, you're going in circles because some are on the NES, some are on the Super Nintendo, some are on the PlayStation, some are on the DS. One is an MMO that only got released in Japan. I, I did see that because I was doing some of my own research. <laughs> um, but it's kind of weird when you look at some of those original releases. The, the first Dragon Quest, the story was very minimal. Mm-hmm. Two definitely adds to that. Dragon Quest or Dragon Warrior 3, although there's a story, there's no real story in terms of your characters because... And that one, you choose which characters you want other than the hero, and you build your party. And if you don't like the people in there, you go drop them off, and you can get more. Um, Dragon Quest IV, I think the story really starts to come together as they have, I think, five or six chapters. In each chapter, you are playing through one, two, maybe three characters, 
And then in the final chapter, they all come together and they coalesce as one, uh, as, as one group. Hmm. So going from there to this one, it felt very familiar. I would go hmm. to a new area, especially at the beginning, help somebody. And I'm thinking, I bet you're going to be a new character in my party. And I didn't know all the characters that were going to be in my party. I mean, I didn't really pay too much attention to the, to the intro when the game starts. But I would see somebody, I'd go, are you, are you going to be in my party? Do I get to have you? And every time that someone did come into my party, it was, it was thrilling. Just to know, okay, how are we going to work now? And especially once you get beyond four characters, who's going to be in your party? Who's going to be waiting on the sidelines? But I will say this. This is one of my favorite things about the game in terms of the way the experience is done. Everybody gets the same experience. So it's not like in some of the Final Fantasy games I've played before where the more people you have, the less experience each person gets because it's spread out, uh, it's divvied up for them. In this one, everybody gets the same amount, even those that are not currently in the battlefield. Oh, that's nice. So when yeah. I was getting the 240,000 experience battles, even those that were off screen were still able to, to level up. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing because... When you have eight characters trying to juggle them, like that stresses me out. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah I, I get you there. I, I had a, a an opposite experience with, with Final Fantasy XII, where I had to either decide to stick with three or switch back and forth between the six, and it it was a real headache. Right. So to hear that they have experience yeah. share or something similar to it uh, in this one is. Huh. I'd like to say that the game sounds like it respects your time, but you've put in over 100 hours, so I don't know what it... Well, I mean... Okay, to, to be fair, a lot of times when I would go to a new area and it would say, and this I did the same thing in Breath of the Wild, when it said, go to this town, go to the person that has a pink bubble above their head because they're going to further the story, I would say, you know what? I appreciate your thought. I'm going to see what's on the other side of the hill. And so I would go and I would explore and I would almost get into trouble. I would do everything that I could. And then I would go back to the town and they would say, okay, well, then we need you to go to this area. I'm like, I was just there. <laughs> so if I had just, if I just followed what they said to do, um, it would not have, it would not be a hundred hours where I am right now. Yeah. And also, if I had known that my character could run by holding down uh, the ZR button, that would have been useful. I did <laughs> not know that. I could. I thought I was running, and then I accidentally held down the ZR button. I pressed it for some reason. I'm like, this guy's running? And once I knew I could run, I was like, oh, this is going to cut down my time in half. <laughs> it went from 150 hours to 100. <laughs> you think you're being silly, but it... <laughs> How far into the game were you before you discovered the run button? Maybe 40 or 50 hours. Oh, my. <laughs> so when I'm trying to traverse these huge open fields, like this guy is just, he, he's jogging is what he's doing, but it's just taking a really long time. And, and I will <laughs> say this, I think one of the real benefits of the 3D world is that you can see the enemies. So... There have been several times where I said, I don't, I don't want to fight. I'm just trying to get out of the cave. I'm trying to get from point A to point B. 
And so I would just run around everybody because like, I, I don't need to fight these weaker enemies. And you can just, you can avoid most of the enemies. Now, obviously there will be gatekeeper enemies that you have to fight to go through a doorway or something. Um, but I like how it, in that respect, I feel like it was respecting my time. <laughs> um, or maybe you're looking to fight a particular enemy. You can see it and you can go and you can approach it. As opposed to if you were to be in the, the 2D mode, all of those would be random encounters. Just like you're yeah. used to seeing in the Dragon Quest games. So is it as atrocious as it is in the older games, the encounter rate? <laughs> well, I've spent very little time doing the 2D stuff. So okay. I can't really comment on that. But with the with the 3D, it's... I mean, if you want to grind, you just run to the enemy and enter into the battle. Right. As, as opposed That's to, nice. I'm going to keep walking around in a little square circle. Mm-hmm. Until I get oh, yeah. whatever enemy I want. The golden golem. So <laughs> it sounds like you, you really enjoyed grinding in this game, but would you say that the grinding is required to progress or just something that you like to do? I think that naturally you're going to level up, um, but the grinding can actually be, uh, it can be something that doesn't take a lot of your time because you can set uh, tactics for your team. And I know they, they've done this on the mobile versions and they may have even had this on some of the on the older Dragon Quest games. Um, again, I can't remember how they were on the NES. But you can set it to uh, fight wisely, don't use MP, um, or go all out and use your strongest spells. And so once you start the battle, you just press the A button to fight. And as long as you're okay with it, they're just going to fight the battle. Unless you need to step in and intervene because you know someone's about to die or they're using too much magic. So a lot of times if I'm trying to grind, have it set to, you know, fight wisely, start the battle, press A, give it a few seconds, collect my experience, and move on to the next one. That's nice. I'm not that's having to go nice. through a bunch of a bunch of menus. Now, yeah. when I would summon a bunch of metal enemies, that's when I say follow my command. That way I can do my best to use the right abilities and spells to make sure that the you know, metal enemies don't run away. Right. So I, I have two final questions for you. Okay. If, um, one, are metal bobbles still a thing? Metal babbles? Yeah. They are called liquid metal slimes. Okay. And okay. there are also even vicious liquid metal slimes. Oh. That are worth... Fancy. Yeah, those are... Are they worth 40000 maybe? Wow. Secondly, yep. uh, when you level up, does your party restore their HP and MP? Yes. Oh. And I didn't notice this till uh, a little bit later. There are certain spells like multi-heal and omni-heal, which will um, apply to your party. Like if, if, if you're fighting, it doesn't apply just to your party that's on the battlefield, but even to mm -hmm. those that are off screen. Ooh. Yeah, there is a nice. nice spell called Kerplunk, mm -hmm. um, and I hadn't—I don't think I had encountered this before. Where your spellcaster sacrifices their life, uses all of their magic in order to restore all of their fallen comrades and bring everybody up to full HP. I gotta say that uh, the old Dragon Quests—they really, 
the fact that you didn't restore your HP and MP upon level up, mm-hmm. and the only way that you could restore it is to go back to a town and sleep in an inn. Yeah. That was probably one of the things that I that irked me the most about them, and I'm glad that they fixed that. Well, yeah, like I was saying, there's so many campsites, and uh, even you, know, you, you can stay at an inn in a town, but the campsites are, are everywhere. Mm-hmm. And to just stay there, and when you go into the campsite, you can save. You can even buy items from a local merchant. You can, of course, you can use a, your fun size forge anywhere. But you can even talk to the people in your party at any time to, you know, see what's on their mind or get ideas about where you should go next. But the right. fact that those are, that like there is one in every major portion of the map, is incredibly convenient. Very nice. Well, I look forward to trying that one as well. Uh, I hope you do, and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I am. So, I, I have a feeling that I will. Uh, it may take me a very long time to get to 11, though, if I start from the beginning like I am right now. <laughs> it, you know what? I think you'll be okay to skip. I, I give you permission. <laughs> okay. That's good to know. <laughs> So, Patrick, what have you been up to this past month? Uh, well, I've been I've been playing a few things. I completed one of the games that I completed was one that I've been working on for the past month and a half, and that's Dragon Guard Two. So I finished up Dragon Guard last month. Uh, I was kind of lukewarm on the gameplay, but the story was fascinating because it was so weird. And then Dragon Guard Two ended up being kind of unimpressive on both fronts. So the combat, although, was improved. It wasn't as engaging, and the story just felt more vanilla compared to the original Drakengard. And the fact that uh, canon ended at 1 and moved to near from there uh, means that Drakengard 2 doesn't really matter anyway. So as soon as I beat it, I didn't go for the other endings and just moved on. But uh, what I actually wanted to talk about tonight was I've been going through the Castlevania Legacy Collection, or whatever they call it, the, their collection of all the classic Castlevanias. Uh, I went so Kid far, I've, I haven't played Kid Dracula yet, but I was tempted to move on to that uh, almost immediately, but I'm like, I need to play the first trilogy uh, and get that out of the way first. So I played the first one, beat it, and then I moved on to the second one. And this was the one that I was most curious about because I've never actually completed it. And I have a complete in-box copy of it up in my game room, and it's been on my backlog for years now. And like, I need to just play Castlevania II and beat it. And I went into it blind. So I'm not looking up anything. I'm figuring out this obtuse game all on my own as much as I possibly can. <laughs> and, all I'm uh, going to say is good luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is that I did actually beat it. I beat it uh, earlier this week, if I recall. Um, with no help? With almost no help. So 98% of my playthrough was no help at all. Impressive. 
I think, so I remember playing it when I was a kid and not even ever getting to the first castle or mansion, whatever it is they call it in that game, uh, where you get the first piece of Dracula. I remember not even being able to find that and just being confused as to what you were even supposed to do in this game because it's nothing like the first one. Uh, first one is a linear action platformer. You move from left to right, occasionally to the right to left, and that's it. Um, in Castlevania 2, though, it you see kind of the makings of the Metroid-style game in there where it's free roaming. You can go back and forth as much as you want. Uh, you can backtrack. Uh, and in each of the villages that you come across, the villagers give you information on what you need to do to complete the game, or that's what you think they're used for. Uh, what you eventually find out is that they're giving you half-truths. Uh, <laughs> so they'll say, you need this white crystal, and it's from here, but it's not actually from here. It is from this other place. <laughs> And uh, so there is definitely portions of the game where the bad translation had led me astray. And that is actually where I needed to find a guide to figure out where I needed to go. <laughs> One thing that I will say about the game is that although it is, it is obtuse, it isn't impossible to figure out these things even without the help of the villagers. And then when you discover how something works on your own, it feels so good. So. I didn't know that I could use the holy water to break walls. So I was wandering around and I just so happened to use my holy water inside a house that was empty. So I'm like, well, there's got to be something here. And it busted through the floor and then I could go down and upgrade my whip. I'm like, oh my god, what did, what just happened? <laughs> uh, and then like, the possibilities were endless after that. Then I decided to start experimenting with every weapon and every item that I would get to see what they could do. Um, but then it came down to the villagers giving me the, the wrong information and discovering then that in each of the mansions you could find pages of a tome that would actually give you the real information on what you needed to do in the game. And that's where it started to get easy. I'm like, okay, now I know what to look for. Now I know what to do. Uh, so I was able to progress. Um, the part that I got stuck at was there's a section in the game, if you go all the way to the left, uh, it's called Deborah Cl Cliff, and <laughs> you have to, I think, uh, crouch for a good two seconds or something like that, and then a tornado comes and picks you up. <laughs> I had no idea what I needed to do, and that's what I needed to look up. Um... But all in all, I enjoyed the game. I, I liked its sense of discovery. I think that with some tweaks, with a better translation, maybe even a modern twist to that um, formula, I think that Castlevania 2 could truly be one of the better Castlevanias. Uh, as soon as I finished Castlevania 2, I moved on to 3, and I felt like I was missing something. So that has that says something about how Castlevania 2 was designed, at least. What made it easy, though, is that you have infinite continues, and when you die and respawn after a continue, uh, you basically show up uh, where you died, maybe maybe a screen back, 
So you never really lost progress other than the, the, the hearts that you collected, which are used to buy items in the towns or use your special weapons. Um, all in all, I enjoyed the game. Um, even without a guide, it was enjoyable. It probably took me longer than it would have if I knew what I needed to do. Uh, I did feel bad having to look something up because I was so I was so determined to beat it on my own. Um, and but I I don't think it's as bad as people say it is. I think you just have to have patience. I would say don't feel bad about the tornado thing. <laughs> I wonder how I, much I agree. <laughs> how how many how many kids had to call oh, the no. Nintendo hotline to figure out what am I supposed to do? I know. And and it was one of those what in the world um situations where you're sitting there like how would I know this? And Noah, well, there is one other place where you do have to crouch in order to reveal a path, and that's at the the lake that's on the far right. If you crouch for like half a second, the camera moves down and you can go below the water. Um, but in no other situation did you have to do such a thing, and yeah. That in and of itself is probably why many people hated the game, because they rented it. They got there and didn't know what to do. And they're like, I'm never playing it again. <laughs> and of course, when that game came out, it was a completely different time than, than right now. And this was mm -hmm. one of those games that probably sold a lot of Nintendo Power subscriptions as people were trying oh, to yeah. figure out what are they supposed to do. Back right. when video games had you know full maps of the areas. Yes. Yes, I was relieved to see that the game did have a password system because trying to beat that in a single sitting would have been ridiculous, for one. Uh, and I probably wouldn't have beaten it because I would just be too frustrated with having to go through all of that again. No, but that that's really my time with, with Castlevania. That's the game that I've been kind of mulling over for the past couple weeks. Um, because I was determined to beat it on my own. And I'm so, glad I did. So d did you get to... You, you mentioned um, touching a little bit on uh, Castlevania 3. Did you... Yeah. Uh, is that as far as you got? Did you try any of the Game Boy ones? Not yet. So I've been going through them in sequence. Uh, so once I beat 3, I'll probably, I'll probably move on to Kid Dracula because it's... Again, it's the outlier. Um... And I'm most interested in that because it was never released in the U.S. I, though I do think there was a Game Boy port that came to the U.S. And what are it's the super other, collectible. What are the other games on the Anniversary Collection? Uh, there's Castlevania's 1 through 3. There's 4 on the Super Nintendo. There's Castlevania 1 and 2 on the Game Boy. And Kid Dracula. I think that's what's on it. So they don't have Rondo of Blood... They don't have the Dracula X on this that was on the Super Nintendo. The um, I'm trying to think what else they would be missing. They don't have the arcade Castlevania game, which kind of surprised me because the Contra Collection had all that. Um, I mean, I get why they didn't have Rondo of Blood and Symphony of the Night on there because they already made a collection with those two things in it. On the PS4. Did it have um, uh, Bloodlines though? 
No. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> it did have the Sega Genesis one, yes. Yep. Or it does. Which I hear that one is many people's favorite. It's my favorite. Well, it's funny because when I was playing the Contra games, I, I went through and played all of the classic Contra games on that anniversary collection. And I have the most... I have fond memories of Contra 3. And after playing that recently... I discovered that I, I don't know if I've ever been a fan of Contra. And then playing Hardcore, the Genesis one, it is actually probably the best Contra game. Uh, as much as it pains me to say that, to give it to a Sega Genesis game. <laughs> and that's when a part of your soul I haven't ever played died. that one. Yeah, Hardcore is great. It's an excellent Contra game. And the one that I... The only one I can really tolerate. Because <laughs> it was truly a struggle going through all of them. Not so much Castlevania, though. I am definitely a Castlevania fan. <laughs> well, the the Contras, I think Super Contra on the Super Nintendo was... Well, it had its moments of being fun. <laughs> when it went to the overhead levels, yes. that was not as much fun. Oh, no. It wasn't, and trying to... Wrap your mind around the the shoulder buttons, right. allowing you to pivot, and then having to duck and things like that. It was not fun. It's not it's not as fun as I remember. Yeah, I, I think to me the only time that Contra was fun was when you had thirty lives at your disposal. Right, and playing co op. Yeah, that's when it was fun. <laughs> no, but that's that's all I have, um, or at least all that I wanted to talk about. Castlevania two. Not as bad as you as you remember, or have heard, but uh, still as poorly designed as ever. <laughs> well, thank you for bringing the hard truths about that. There you go. That's all I bring is the hard truths. I hold nothing back. I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you enjoyed that. I remember playing that as a kid, and I don't even know that I ever made it. I think I may may have made it to the first mansion. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I did anything after that. <laughs> oh, and speaking of the mansions, I didn't realize until... Okay, here's... Here, I have one last thing to say about Castlevania 2. A lot of the things that I discovered in the game, I accidentally discovered and didn't realize it. So when I had to reenact the, um, the steps to perform an action, I didn't know what I did. So... Going to the mansions, you had to collect the pieces of Dracula. So you get his like his eye, his tooth, his rib bone, and so on. And you're going to reconstruct Dracula so you can kill him, I guess. You're bringing him back to life to kill him. <laughs> uh, but each of the pieces, when you get to them, are surrounded in a magical kind of barrier. And you have to destroy that barrier in order to collect the piece. What I didn't realize was that you needed this wooden stake in order to break that barrier. And what I also didn't realize was that my first mansion, I found the guy, bought the stake, and didn't realize I used it on the orb to break it. So when I got to the next one, I'm, you know, pulling my hair out, wondering how in the world I did it. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that is basically how Castlevania 2 goes. You're like, oh, is that how I did it? And then you progress. And the only reason I have any idea really about what you're talking about is because I watched a streamer play it. Mm. And, you know, there's just that frustration of, oh, I need to make sure that I have the stake before I go there, or I've got to find the guy in the mansion. Otherwise, you get to the orb and you can't do anything. You've got to backtrack to find it and probably die in the process. Yes, that is typically what happened. And then you lose all your hearts and you have to grind for them in order to buy the stake off the guy. <laughs> yeah, Castlevania 2. Highly recommend it if you enjoy punishing yourself. <laughs> but I, I, yeah. Well, I don't enjoy punishing myself. Um, <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you do the punishing there. And I think okay. it's great that you uh, got through Dragon Guard 2. It's a shame that it wasn't as... The parts of it were better than the first one, but the storyline just kind of fell flat for you. Yeah. I feel like just like the first one, it was skewed to the end of the game. So that's where it got in, uh, interesting. Mm. Like 25 hours in, that's when it got good. Uh, which was similar to the first one. So are you going to be uh, continuing uh, playing more of the Castlevania and the Guard series for next month? Or do you have another big project on the horizon? So I am going to be continuing Drakengard. I'll be moving on to 3 eventually. Uh, and yes, Castlevania 3 as well. But right now, I actually started a new game called Indivisible. Um, so this game is interesting. And I'm, I'm not sure of its lineage. But I know that uh, it's been in development for a long time. Uh, since the PS3, I think. And um, it's all hand-drawn. So it's a 2D side-scrolling uh, Metroidvania-style game with RPG elements. But it's not just the leveling up. It's the actual battles are not necessarily turn-based. But um, if I was to compare it to any game, and if you're familiar with it, uh, Valkyrie Profile... So each character in your party while you're in battle is assigned a button. And if you press that button, they'll do their action. Um, so say, for example, the main character is assigned to button square and one of the secondary characters to triangle. And then you can mix and match their attacks by pressing their corresponding buttons. Or when enemies are attacking, you use those buttons to block. So it's similar to also... Um, the Mario and Luigi games, where, you know, like Mario is A and Luigi is B, and any attacks that require the B action, you would have to press B and so on. Um, the most interesting thing about this game is its art style, though. Uh, the combat itself, it's hard to get used to, <laughs> because you constantly have to pay attention to which character is being attacked, uh, and then press the right button to react. And then when you're doing the attacks, uh, you have to remember that, um, you know, character A is the triangle button. And then you can press hold up to alter that attack to do one thing or hold down to do it again or a different thing. And uh, it's interesting. I'm, I'm only about an hour into it right now, so I don't know too much about it at this point. 
But uh, like I said, one of the most interesting parts is its hand-drawn animations, which are top-notch. And the voice acting is excellent as well. It's The dialogue is funny. I very much enjoy it. The character interactions are um, cute and cheeky. I like it a lot. Yes, it is currently on Game Pass as well. Yep. Uh, I bought it, or no, I didn't buy it. I won it in a giveaway, I think before Christmas last year. <laughs> and I haven't played it until now. And then I seen it came on Game Pass and it reminded me that I had it. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. I guess I can play it now. Since I completed Dragon Guard 2, I'm going to do a, you know, a holdover game before I jump into 3. So if you guys do end up playing it, I'd be curious to see what you think too. Because it does have the Metroidvania elements to it. And it's, um, traversal is interesting. So the main character gets an axe and you can use her to kind of stick the axe into a wall so that she can bounce up higher. And then she can do, uh, you know, bounce off the walls to jump up to higher locations. Um, you have a dash. I just got an arrow or a bow, I should say, so you can shoot targets from far away or hit or hit switches, things like that. It's very interesting, and it does have the whole Metroidvania map, so you can see places that you've missed and have to backtrack to eventually. And uh, so far, I'd say, you know, definitely uh, give it a try, especially if you have Game Pass. Yeah, I think I might try to check that out. I was thinking that after pouring 100 hours into Dragon Quest Eleven, I could go for something that's quite a bit shorter and i just looked up on uh, how to how long to beat.com mm -hmm. and they have the uh, main story uh, ranges around 18 or so hours oh so i mean right now to me that sounds like a really short game yeah i mean i feel like that's a sweet spot for metroidvania honestly it's not too long but long enough that it has some meat on its bones yeah yeah well, but cool. so far so good I'm enjoying it. How about you guys? What do you got planned for the next month? Well, um, like I said, I had started playing CrossCode. I'm probably going to keep working on that. Um, I'm sure I'll still be playing uh, copious amounts of Dead by Daylight. And then getting a couple more runs in on Bloodstain and Superliminal. But uh, rolling back to, to CrossCode, I, I don't know if you guys have any experience with um, this game, but it uh, just came to Game Pass, and uh, yeah, I I know I've I know I've heard of it and I've seen pictures of it, and I know that some places are doing physical releases of it, but that's my extent of my knowledge. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting in the play style that it has. Now, I've only played through essentially the tutorial section, and I just got to the part of the game where it starts to open up. And uh, I can start taking quests and stuff, but I haven't done much with it. Uh, but so far, the gameplay is... I, I think it would almost be up your alley, honestly, Patrick. Um, it's very... The, the combat is very fast-paced. Um, you're having to keep track of multiple things at once. Um, it has a, a shooting mechanic that's kind of weird. Uh, you have to aim... Like with your right stick, you can still move whatever direction you want with your left uh, stick. 
but then you fire with the right bumper. But if you're not holding the analog stick, the, the fire button uh, does melee attacks. Uh, but then you also have a shield button, and then you can do like charge up um, abilities too. Uh, like I bought one for my shield where I can do a charge up ability and send out a blast near me that knocks back all nearby enemies, which is kind of uh, of uh, interesting as a concept. But I know there's different ways you can go um, because it's all like skill tree based. And you can, like, I don't know, the skill tree system looks pretty interesting. And I'm really looking forward to digging into the game. Uh, and I just got, like I said, I just finished, like, the tutorial portion. And now I have uh, my first party member. And, like, the whole premise, like, behind the game is that it's, like, uh, in, in quotation marks, an MMO. So, like, whenever the other avatars are playing, you can invite them to your group as you meet them and then have them uh, be a part of your party. Uh, so far, I only have one other person, but it seems like uh, it harkens back to that PS2 game, um, Dot .hack, I think it was called, uh, where you could invite people okay. uh, depending on um, whether or not they were available and have them in your party for different missions as, as you choose. But looking forward to playing more of that. And you said it was on Game Pass as well? Yes. Yeah, just just got there. Okay. De nice. I'll, I'll definitely have to check that one out as well. How about well, you, Ryan? Speaking what of, you got? Uh, well, well, you guys were talking about two games that are both on Game Pass, and uh, one of the games that I will try to put some more time into this uh, next month is also on Game Pass, and that's Minecraft Dungeons. Um, yeah. If you've got, you know... Gamer kids in the house. Um, I recommend checking it out. Uh, my son was excited to to play it. At first, he was a little disappointed because he thought it was just online and he thought you couldn't do a solo campaign. But turns out you can, and so he jumped right into it. And it's it, this nice. I, I'm assuming it's like Diablo. I've never played Diablo, but imagine that you've got uh, this. Uh, like a Minecraft game, but it's just you going around, defeating the enemies, opening up treasure chests to hopefully gain uh, or to earn uh, more powerful weapons, armors, um, special accessories that you can use for special attacks. And then you can even level those up or sell them to get something more powerful. And there are, when you go into a, a world, you can choose a range of difficulty so if you want it to be a little bit easier you can do that if you want to really challenge yourself and say I, I want to pick something here that says you should be level 14 but I'm only level 8 you're probably going to get your butt handed to you uh, but you can still try it and you know my son's played it I'm not sure what level he's at but maybe in the 40s or 50s and he's got some really powerful stuff so as I was playing it for the first time level 1 which is really level zero. And he was telling me, you know, where to go, what I should do. Oh, this is a good weapon. Or, you know, here's how you uh, put certain enchantments on it. Here's how you can level it up and make it more powerful. It's like, oh, okay. So it was a nice experience for him to teach me some things about Minecraft. And especially about the game that he's put a lot of time into. Um, but it was, a, you know, controls are good. 
and the, the visuals are are kind of pleasing. Sometimes it's kind of hard to figure out where things are. Is this a dead end, or is there some kind of secret there? Um, but it's just kind of fun as you're going around doing melee attacks, or you've got a crossbow that does rapid fire, so you're just blasting people from, you know, from one side of the screen. Um, I had one little accessory that allowed me to call up a dog who could fight for me, but he also had a health meter. And I didn't know what exactly what I was doing. And I picked up a block of TNT and I threw it into a, a, a group of enemies. And my dog companion went to go attack those enemies, ended up in the blast radius of the TNT, and he died. Oh, no. <laughs> and then you have to do it's okay so he died but he's not gone forever there's like a 20 or 30 second cooldown before i can call him up again but it, you know i killed him and my son's like you just killed your dog <laughs> so what you know like, i don't really know what i'm doing um yeah it's a it's a pretty fun game so i think i might get a little bit more into that but there's also a game that i kickstarted that i got just before i started getting into dragon quest called summer and mara or mara um so I really want to you know get into that since I did kickstart it and see what it's all about. The visuals look very interesting to me. I love the you know just things that look like animation, hand drawn stuff. Uh, so I, those are probably going to be my two games that I get into if I you know don't dabble into maybe a quicker uh, platformer game. Something's only going to take maybe say ten fifteen hours, just so I can feel like I accomplished something that's maybe not so monumental as a 100 hour game yeah i i was kind of impressed with uh what they did with minecraft dungeons myself um as one who has played diablo 3 especially the ones that were released on the, the consoles where they they added a lot of um quality of life things for players playing on a controller mm -hmm. you'll you see that in minecraft dungeons they borrowed a lot of that uh it has a lot of the same feeling when it comes to collecting loot and their rarities and uh basically even to down to how you dodge with the right analog stick things like that um i also enjoyed the enchantment system i thought that was really clever and unique um but I don't know. I think I think it was a good game, or probably harder than I thought it would be, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. But yeah, yeah I think my son has gotten to some of the later levels, where I think he's trying to beat them at a, a certain difficulty. Because as you go up in level, the the range of difficulty that you can select for each level scales up, so you can't mm -hmm. be at level forty five. And still doing it on the lowest level of difficulty that would only require, or that only suggests, say, level five or ten. So mm -hmm. it's going to challenge you, and it's going to push you, um, you know, to, to replay the levels at a higher mm -hmm. uh, difficulty to get more experience, to get more weapons. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the, if I remember, you know, the cost of the game is twenty bucks, or if you've got a uh, game pass. I get it on there, check it out. Um, and especially if you got kids, do a little couch co-op with that. You're not going to kill the other person. And a lot of the treasure chests that you get to will give you, whoever's in the party, everybody gets something. Yeah, that's really nice. So mm -hmm. we would open up a, a chest, two things would pop out, and 
they would have a different color hue around it to say, oh, this is for player two or player one. And so he might get something or I'd get something or some treasure chest, we both get something. And you know, there's no real, no real fighting going on. Because you were just sharing and you were in it together. He was very kind to let me try to take the lead so that I could gain the experience. Because he definitely could have gone through and just destroyed everybody with the weapons that he has. So if you if you have kids, and you know, definitely check that out. A good fun time. Um, if you like the Minecraft stuff. Yeah, I agree. Even if you don't like Minecraft, Minecraft, I think it's a good at once. Four, Up to four. I think. Nice. For locally or online? Yeah, I know my son has played online with one of his friends. Um, they did a pretty good uh, play session because his friend didn't have the game. And then they bought the mm. game and very quickly leveled up to be very comparable to where he was so they could go and, you know, destroy hordes and creepers. And am I saying that right? Yeah. The, the enemies in the game. Zambies. <laughs> yeah, this was this was a lot of fun, guys. Um, I always love hearing what everybody's been playing and, you know, some, especially this time, we got some juicy tidbits from the future. Yeah, as long as they don't track us back here to the past, I think we're going to be okay. I think so as well. I try to be a little incognito. Uh, I thought about using a DeLorean, (laughs) but I said, you know what, let's go back to the original time travel capsule that they were going to use in the movie, which was a refrigerator or, or like a, like a freezer, I think. Yeah. No one would suspect that. No, <laughs> but you also don't want someone who's stepping out of a deep freeze either. That's kind right. of creepy. <laughs> That's true. I mean, a car appearing in the middle of the road, a little less suspicious than in like a deep freeze. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this was a lot of fun, guys. A lot of fun. And I hope all you listeners enjoyed it as well. Um, I guess we'll see you all next time. Sounds good. If you have any complaints, uh, you can address those to uh, Grouchy. Yeah. Uh, he's the one who he's the uh, handler of the complaints. So there you go. Yep. Send compliments uh, to the three of us. The Backlog <laughs> Odyssey, Mathman1024, and uh, Blaze Knight. Uh, I can never remember the numbers at the end of yours, sir. 0923. <laughs> Blaze Knight 0923. Thanks for joining <laughs> us this evening, Backloggers. Have a wonderful time, and we can't wait to talk to you next month. Throw those bingo squares. Yep. Fill them in. Peace. See ya.